0: God bless everyone. I am so glad that you are here. These next uh, four weeks, I wish to begin to talk about in Scripture what God has intended for his people. And when we organize as a church, there are biblical mandates for leadership. And the reason this is important is because last week we, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 5, we've been preaching through 1 Peter for several months, and 1 Peter chapter 5 is that closing section of that epistle where Peter addresses the leadership of the churches. And it's important for us to remember that God ordains shepherds for his people. He always has. Even before the church was established with Jesus Christ, when God called out the nation of Israel from Egypt, When he calls them out of the slavery, he establishes leadership and shepherds for them. It's always been part of his direction and part of his plan. We, as God's people, we actually crave leadership in the church. We crave leadership in the spirit. And so I want to take what Peter has closed his first epistle with on leadership and, and take the next four months and, and begin to really look in Scripture how Jesus has established uh, what the shepherding leader looks like. because we are transitioning as a church. We've been a church for a year. And now it is time, I believe, for us to really perhaps lay down some foundations of, of more orga, more organization. We, we've, we've been this organic community, and I want that organic, that organic nature to continue. Because in Christ, we are a living, breathing body of Christ. Amen? But even in our organism of our own body, don't we have an order and a structure? We have the mind that is kind of directing all of our body, even as it works together. I think we can use that same imagery in the church. And God has established this. So if you will, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, this morning. Gospel of John chapter 10. This passage is being has been called by scholars the good shepherd discourse. So whenever biblical scholars are studying this passage, that's what they refer to it as. It is the good shepherd discourse. This is Jesus himself teaching what a good shepherd looks like. And it's more than just someone working with sheep. It is much deeper and richer in the imagery here, and the truth that Jesus is teaching us in. So, if you will, please stand in reverence for the reading of God's word if you can. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ say this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, This charge I have received from my Father. Amen. Let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that your Son, Jesus Christ, teaches us what a good shepherd is. He doesn't just lecture. He actually lives this out by example. You have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to love us as your flock, fire us as your people, Through saving us from our sin, Jesus Christ is our shepherd. He is the one shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the one that we model our own lives after. As we seek to call in other sheep from outside of the fold. To call them into your kingdom, God. Remind us that Jesus is who we serve. Because he loved us enough to rescue us from sin first. Teach us this morning what a good shepherd is. Through the example and the model of your son Jesus Christ. As we begin to think and to pray God about leadership in this church. I pray God that you would redirect our thoughts and our prayers back to this example. God that you would teach us. And you would love us. time is your time God. And I pray God that you would speak boldly in your word. I'm man, please go ahead and have a seat. John chapter ten is a passage that teaches us exactly what a good shepherd looks like. As we are gathering as a church, the last thing that we need to be focused on is some type of leader worship of the pastor. I will be the first one to tell you I am not someone that you want to worship, please. I will let you down every single day. But don't many churches gather around the charisma of a leader? Now there is something about that that is natural. Because when we look at Jesus himself, he had a charisma that was attractive to thousands upon thousands. Well he did, I mean he didn't have just a small intimate group of twelve. He had his inner circle of 12 disciples. But scriptures, the, the the gospels tell us that multitudes of people, multitudes of crowds would follow him wherever he went. So much so that he had nowhere to go one time and they crowded him out at the seashore and they were going to push him into the sea. And he had to jump into a boat because otherwise he would have drowned. There was nowhere else to go. We see in the gospels of crowds pressing in on Jesus to the point that this one woman who is desperate for healing had to reach through the crowd and just touch the hem of his garment. Amen. There was something about Jesus that was attractive. Now, it wasn't just that he had a rhetoric or a sideshow. There was something genuine in Jesus Christ that people could not explain, but it was attractive, right? Genuine. He was pure. He was humble, he was meek, but he was also firm, and he had authority. And people were drawn to that because they saw something godly in it. They saw something beyond the leaders that they were used to. Jesus here explains that he is the good shepherd. Before we go much further, let's understand what Jesus is talking about here. The translations that we have in the English is this idea of good. Jesus is the good shepherd. What does this look like? Number one, what... The term here for shepherd is a term in the Greek that that when translated into the into the Latin, right, in, in the history of the church, the, the scriptures are written, the New Testament scriptures are written in Greek. At one point in the church history, in the Catholic Mass, everything was translated into Latin because Latin then became the most scholarly language. All of the scholars would read this language and write this language as they thought through great ideas, and so the scriptures were translated from Greek into Latin. It is in Latin that we get the word pastor from. As this term in the Greek called shepherd is translated into Latin, the Latin word literally is P-A-S-T-O-R. You transliterate that into English, it's pastor. So the idea of a pastor is someone who is a shepherd. Jesus explains himself, he describes himself as this shepherd, this shepherd pastor that is beyond all shepherds that anyone has ever seen before. He is the model shepherd. He is this good shepherd that all people look to. They see him as the supreme shepherd. Now, the translation here of the good is something that we have to really pause and think about for a minute. Because when we think about being good, we think about being moral. We think about, we think about the good, we think about the bad. Was Jesus just a good teacher? Was he just a good moral leader that showed us how to be good people? Think of good in that way, then I think we're going to miss much of what Jesus is talking about here. This idea of good in this context is more than just morality. Because the word here that's translated as good can also be translated as Something that is right can also be translated as something that is honorable. Can be translated even in some places in scripture, the same word for good here is also translated beautiful. So this idea of the good shepherd is more than just a moral leader. Some scholars will now argue that this word here for the word that is translated good is probably better translated here as as the model shepherd the shepherd that that sets the tone for all other shepherds in God's church because this is more than just being good it's also being right it's it's a le- it's a level of being honorable it's a level of being so beautiful that it is attractive did Jesus not have this aspect of his personality of, of his being word implies something that is attractive. So the good shepherd here is a shepherd who is attractive. Not on his own, because we're going to unpack that here in a minute, as Jesus really criticizes the Pharisees for being false shepherds. The shepherd that is has something about it, there's some truth in him that is attractive to the sheep. This attractiveness comes through things that are noble or ideal. So Jesus is this ideal shepherd. He is the model by which all of the church follows. He is the model by which all men called to leadership in the church are to emulate. Not for their own gain, but for the glory of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is talking about here. continues here in chapter 10 after what is happening in chapter 9. We're not going to read it all, but just to give you a, a little background here, the narrative of what's happening here is in chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. Heals him in such a way that everyone says, wait a minute, this is a man that we've known who's been blind from birth. He's never been able to see. And Jesus spits in the mud on his eyes, and he can see. He goes around and tells everybody, I have been healed, Jesus Christ has given me sight. He gives credit to Jesus Christ as the one who not only heals him physically, but awakens him spiritually. And he goes and tells everybody in the synagogue all about it to the point that the leaders in the synagogue get a little nervous here. Now, wait a minute. We as leaders of the synagogue have to squelch any trouble this blind man is out here telling us, telling people about this leader called Jesus. He's going to take away from our reputation here. He's taking away from our authority. Let's figure out what's going on. Even Jesus' own disciples in chapter 9 asked the question of Jesus about this man who was born blind. They say, this man is born, born blind, so what did his parents do in sin to cause this birth? Jesus' own 12 disciples asked this question. And then the Pharisees, they, they, they charge this man being healed with blasphemy. They charge Jesus with the same thing for healing on the, on the Sabbath. Jesus, who is the model shepherd, the ideal, beautiful, honorable shepherd, is now in trouble. But it's amazing here in chapter 9, we don't, I'm just laying some groundwork here for what's coming in chapter 10. In chapter 9, this man who is healed in verses 30 through 33, when you read this encounter where the Pharisees call him in and they start interrogating him about what happened, this man who was healed from his blindness lectures the Pharisees. Go back and read it. He lectures the Pharisees. He is amazed that these religious leaders do not recognize the voice of God or God's hand moving since Scripture says that God hears those who do His will. And these Pharisees could not recognize a miracle of God when they saw it. They could not recognize testimony of God's miracle movement when this man who was healed from his blindness testified to the truth. And this man healed... Lectures them. Because the Pharisees do not do God's will. God doesn't pay them any attention. Because these Pharisees do not do God's will. They miss what God is doing. God won't even speak to them. Now this is. A reflection of what. Tim Cody read for us this morning. In Ezekiel 34. If you want to turn back there. I want to look at a couple of passages here. Ezekiel 34 to tie Ezekiel 34 in with John chapters 9 and 10 here and parallel the messages that is being portrayed here. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Ezekiel, really. Because in Ezekiel chapter 34, God is prophesying through his prophet Ezekiel that he is going to come. He's sending a shepherd. He himself is going to weed out the fat sheep From the healthy sheep. Verse 11 of Ezekiel 34. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the people's and gather them from the countries, and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them with the good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Now in verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. Prophecy of Ezekiel here being fulfilled by Jesus in John's gospel. Prophecy in Ezekiel 34 is a direct prophecy from God himself to the fat shepherds of Israel. I am coming and you have neglected my sheep as the shepherds. You've made yourself Fat off of my glory and I am going to come and be the shepherd that the people need. What Ezekiel's prophesying there? So the last thing that God wants is fat shepherds like fat sheep laying around and prophesying and making themselves, gorging themselves with the prophets of the kingdom. Problem here in Ezekiel? Now you look here in John chapter 9 and 10. Jesus is confronted by these fat shepherd Pharisees who are wealthy and prosperous and luxurious and they have an arrogance about them and they know what is right, but then they cannot see God's miracle when it's right in front of them. Jesus here says, I'm going to tell you what the right kind of shepherd is. I'm going to give you the example of what a good shepherd is. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. See, verse 1 here of chapter 10, Jesus is Clearly speaking about those who want to come into the kingdom their own way. Amen? He's talking about the shepherds who want to come in and do whatever they want. They want to do their job the way they want. Which usually means, what, 30 days vacation a year? All the benefits of the health health insurance and dental plans and retirement plans. And if I don't have all that, I'm not coming to work. Right? See where we're going? How many people come into God's kingdom this way in verse 10, in chapter 10 verse 1? Think about this again. Jesus says, truly, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Anyone who comes into God's kingdom by any other way than by the door of Jesus Christ is a thief. And we're not just talking about leaders. It is clearly focused on leaders here trying to come into the sheepfold like a thief and a robber. But think about this as well. How many individuals want to be a sheep in God's kingdom, but they want to jump over the fence and not come through the gates? under that. Jesus continues here in verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. The good shepherd here, when he comes to his flock, all he has to do is just speak and calls them out. He doesn't have to yell. He doesn't have to beat them with a stick. He just shows up and he says, I am here. Come on, let's go. And it's amazing if you've ever been around uh, sheep that have been uh, different flocks together, the shepherd will come to that big mass of sheep and there's a bunch of different flocks intermingled and the one shepherd has to come and he just has to speak and all of his sheep know him and they start following him out of the gate because they know that every time they hear that shepherd's voice he's going to lead them to fresh water he's going to lead them to fresh grass he's going to lead them and take care of them and make sure all of their needs are met it says this here the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out This thief and this robber here, the imagery that Jesus is talking about, these thieves and these robbers, they are the religious leaders. They are the Jews. Anytime in John's gospel you see the term the Jews, he's not talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking specifically about corrupt shepherd leaders of God's people the Pharisees, the Sadducees. These are the thieves and the robbers. Jesus is launching a dual meaning in this parable. First, he's talking about these thieves and these robbers, these religious leaders, because they are strangers whose sheep do not recognize their voice. Right? These false shepherds, these false religious leaders, they speak and the sheep don't recognize them because they're not true godly leaders. Now, the sheep here has the imagery of The blind man talking. The imagery of you and I as we are awakened to the truth of our sin and the blinders come off. have the false corrupt sheep or the false corrupt leaders. They are the thieves and the robbers. And then we have the sheep who are dependent on good, honorable, beautiful shepherds, truthful shepherds to lead them. Now in contrast here, Jesus is the legitimate shepherd. Right? He's the legitimate shepherd. He's he's both, every he he does the job of everything that needs to be done. He does the job of the watchman and he does the job of the shepherd. Amazing here that both the watchman who was watching the sheep, who flees away, and the sheep themselves also know the voice of the legitimate shepherd. Look here in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Please, because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, Jesus is clearly using this allegory and this imagery here of a false leader who's just a hired hand. He's just there to collect his paycheck. He's just there to do what has to be done and nothing more. And the example here of the bad shepherd, the bad watchman here, is that the moment the wolf shows up, the moment danger shows up, he runs away. Because he really doesn't care about the sheep. All right, wolf, go ahead and eat the sheep. They don't belong to me anyway. That's just the boss's sheep. I'm just a hired hand. Just give me the paycheck. And see, the thing is here, one of the key responsibilities for the shepherd is that the shepherd protects the flock at all costs. When the wolf shows up, it's the shepherd's job to beat away the wolf. It is the shepherd's job to protect the sheep at all costs, even to the point of death. It was not uncommon for shepherds to sacrifice their lives when the bears and the wolves and the lions came to protect the sheep. It was expected that the shepherds would do so. They would fight off the enemies to protect the sheep. You remember King David when he was a young shepherd boy? What was he known for even as a boy? Hey, I can, I can, I can kill a bear at a hundred yards. Boom. He knew how to sling that slingshot, didn't he? And he did so because he was protecting his sheep. And I trained him and God used that and prepared him for when it came time for David to take on Goliath. And for David to lead the nation of Israel and to be God's chosen shepherd. He knew how to slay the lion. He knew how to take care of the bear. He took care of the wolves. He took care of the danger that came to the sheep. The sheep didn't have to worry. Very common in this time for shepherds to die. But here's what's unique here. Jesus is, use, is comparing himself to the good shepherd. He's describing himself in this way for a reason. Even though it was very common for shepherds to die, what Jesus does is much different. Look here in verse 14. Actually, verse 11. Let's go back and look at 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Lays down his life. Willingly. As he says in verse 17. For this reason the father loves me. Because I lay down my life. That I may take it up again. No one takes it from me in verse 18. But I lay it down of my own accord. What makes Jesus unique here. To be the model shepherd. And sets him apart. From just the common shepherd is that he willingly, without reservation and deliberately lays down his life for the sheep. Common shepherd was expected to lie uh, to lie down and die, but he doesn't do it deliberately. It was out of comp- it was out of expectation. But Jesus here, he willingly and deliberately dies. He pushes the metaphor of the shepherd beyond common expectations here. As he explains, I have the power to lay down my life. And I have the power to take it up again. Is that not the model shepherd? Amen? Now look here in verse 12. See here again, the hired hand. We see his problem. He runs away from the sheep. He's not the model shepherd. He runs away from the sheep and allows the wolf to do whatever they want. The wolf snatches the sheep. He devours some and he scatters the rest. Any kind of shepherd that allows that to happen is a shepherd not worthy of God's honor. Any any pastor, leader, anyone in the church who allows the wolf from the outside to come into the church and to snatch up some of God's precious sheep and cause the rest of them to scatter is a leader not worthy of the name of Jesus Christ. That pastor-shepherd who does that is just there for the paycheck. He's not there willing to stand up for the truth of the gospel. And guess what? Some of the wolves coming into the church to scatter the sheep are wolves that actually come in as leaders themselves. shepherd of God's church will stand up to even the false leaders within the flock. Point that the good shepherd if he's got to get fired from the deacons then the deacons are going to fire him but what they've done here is that they've actually scattered the flock get too often verse 14 Jesus says here in verse 14 I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me That right there is clear evidence And a good connection to the the language and scripture of God's elect. If we belong to Jesus Christ. If we belong to God through salvation in Jesus Christ. Then we are God's chosen. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own and my own know me. That implies personal connection. (laughs) Knowledge of one another. Mamas, do you know the voice of your crying baby? Daddy's same thing? Daddies have the same intuition. Every time we hear our own child, we know it's ours. We know that cry. <laughs> and not only do we know that cry, we know, okay, that's a hungry cry. We know that's a fall down and scrape my knee cry. We know that's a fake I just want attention cry. Knows his sheep, but more importantly, his sheep know him. <laughs> you see this allegory here. Is that God the Father knows his Son. And Jesus the Son knows his Father. The Son lays down his life for the sheep. As God the Father asks the Son to lay it down. Look here in verse 15. Just as the Father, this is what Jesus says. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He's comparing this imagery of the shepherd and his sheep to God the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Christ here laying down his life. He does so not just, not just for his own sheep. He does. We're going to let's unpack it. But he also does this for those sheep he wants to bring in. See this deliberate sacrifice that Jesus talks about. This deliberate sacrifice of protection. This sacrifice in verse 15 and into 16 that Jesus speaks about is this sacrifice of the good shepherd is a sacrifice of love? It is the model expression of love. We could say that this is the model shepherd. It's showing us pure, genuine love for the sheep. The hired hand doesn't have this love for his sheep. He has a love for his flock that no one else could ever touch. But not only does he have a model of love here, an expression. Of protection for the sheep through love. He's also the model shepherd who wants to bring more flock, more sheep into the fold to love even more. Look here in verse 16. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Verse 16 is a clear indicator that, yes, we as God's people are his elect, but that does not mean that we are a a members-only club that no one else is welcome in. Jesus himself says, I have my sheep that belong to me. They are my possession. They are my chosen ones. But I want to bring in more. You see that? That's biblical. There are other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. It's not that I wish they would come. It's not that I have to go out and do evangelism projects and hope that somebody hears the gospel. It says, I must bring them also. Listen to my voice. Christ is the one calling those from outside of the flock in. Now, let me me make sure I uh, clarify exactly what he's talking about here. It's very clear that Jesus is talking about Gentile believers. These other sheep are Gentiles outside of God's nation of Israel. If it wasn't for this truth of the gospel, folks, all of us in this room who come from European descent would not be part of the fold. Paul's missionary journeys would have been in vain. But now, unfortunately, this this verse, this one particular verse, John chapter 10, verse 16, has been taken out of context by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or also known as the Mormons, they actually use this passage to argue that Jesus, at the point of his death, for those three days that he was in the grave, wasn't actually in in hell, uh, saving us from sin. Jesus actually trans, transported, miraculously, from the land of Israel to North America and witnessed to the Native Americans. Then, you, all, you y'all y'all ever heard that story? And they will use this text that he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And they say that means that Jesus came to the North America and preached the gospel to the Native American Indians because they were the other sheep. Now, I don't know that there's biblical evidence for that. I clearly don't see it. I think this text is clearly talking metaphorically, about other sheep, all Gentile believers, which would include the Native American Indians of, of North America, but that doesn't mean that Jesus miraculously transformed here and preached the gospel to them. He's talking generally about he has other people, other sheep that he wants to bring in, that's the Gentile nations, to bring them into God's family. Now, see, mixing ethnic groups here, Think about this. If Jesus in verse 16 wants to bring Gentile believers into the fold of God along with the nation of Israel to form God's people as the church, what happens when you mix ethnic groups? We've got some problems in our own country over this, right? It's nothing new. It's been part of our DNA from the beginning of our nation. We've had ethnic strife. Dealing from slavery all the way up. If Jesus is going to bring other sheep into the fold, what's going to happen when you mix strange sheep in with a flock of sheep that are comfortable? Y'all deal with that, Matt and Melanie? Matt and Melanie have some sheep. What happens when you introduce some new sheep into the group? They segregate. They fight. They struggle. If Jesus is going to bring in the Gentiles into God's family, there's going to be problems. Well, there's been problems from day one in God's church. (laughs) But then at the same time, here's the beauty of what Jesus the Good Shepherd brings. Somehow in the truth of the gospel, somehow in the beauty of Jesus Christ, all of these various ethnicities and these different cultures and these different languages, somehow we all have something in common And we're one Christ. We work it out. Here's talking about the scattered sheep of Israel. Not anything new. It was a very common theme. The scattered sheep of Israel was a very common uh, idea in the Old Testament. Micah. Chapter 2 speaks about this. Jeremiah, the prophet, speaks about this. Ezekiel clearly spoke about it. Isaiah chapter 56, the prophet Isaiah and chapter 56 speaks about the Lord who gathers outcasts of Israel also, who will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. That was in Isaiah. Even though he's calling in others, even though God himself called out the nation of Israel as his own special people, Very beginning, he wanted to bring in others. It's all throughout the Old Testament. Now, in Isaiah 56, speaking about these outcasts of Israel, it's also speaking about foreigners who come into the fold, but the way they come into the fold is these foreigners join themselves to the Lord. It's harmony between God and people, and they willingly come to be part of the flock. And so this perfect shepherd is needed to hold this diversity of flocks together. This perfect shepherd, the only model shepherd who can do the job, is Jesus Christ himself. he takes all this diversity of opinions and backgrounds and ways of doing things. And he says, you know what, we're all one people here. Under my blood and under my sacrifice for you, we are one. And he is the model shepherd. That somehow it gets them all together. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Because in verse 16 of John chapter 10. Jesus says so there will be one flock. One shepherd. And this one shepherd who is going to have authority. And this authority is from God the Father himself. And this authority is that this one good shepherd. Will not only die. In a loving sacrificial example. But he's going to be able to take his life back up again. What is the model shepherd concerned with here? Jesus as the good shepherd is the model shepherd for God's church. The model shepherd or, again, the, the shepherd here and the pastor here are one in the same concept. But Jesus is the one that we emulate here. This model shepherd of Jesus Christ is not concerned only with selfish gain. He's not only concerned with the gain he receives from the sheep. The model shepherd desires to enrich the flock with his own good and plentiful resources. The good shepherd is more concerned with the welfare of the flock and the sheep than he is about his own needs. Regardless, the sheep, the model shepherd, sees the sheep as his own, not belonging to anyone else. If you're a parent, you know what that means with your kids. That's my kid. Amen? My kid may be not my, my kid may not be perfect right now, but that's my kid. Or when that kid does really well, that's my kid, right? Regardless, that's my kid. Same thing here with the model shepherd. Those are my sheep. When the sheep misbehave, the shepherd says, "Well, yeah, they're my sheep, but they're mine." But then when the sheep do really well, isn't that a beautiful sheep? Haven't they done well? He sees them as his own. He loves his sheep with a love that is beyond all love. He loves his sheep with a lavish love. Making sure they've got all they need. Now, I want to close with this one thought here. Think about this. If we as the church are sheep and Jesus Christ is our good shepherd and our good shepherd loves us with a love that is beyond compare, Does that mean that the sheep make demands of the shepherd, Jesus Christ? Does that mean that we we demand that Jesus love us exactly the way we need? Or does Jesus, the model good shepherd, show us what kind of love we need? Because the idea of love here can be so misunderstood in our modern context that if you don't give me what I need, you must not love me. Y'all ever heard that before? If you don't go out there and, and get a good job, husband, and give me every penny that you make and let me go live it up and do whatever I want, but husband, you've got to go eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches while I go out to dinner and lunch with my girlfriends every day. That's not true love. That's taking advantage. I've I've seen some couples like that where the young lady has been taught to be the princess and her idea is that the husband, he owes it to me to give me all of his money and I go out and I go live it up and I don't care what he does and he just sacrifices and he's like living on the couch and eating peanut butter and jelly, but she's going out and living it up. That's not love, is it? Husbands, same thing. We can't expect our wives to do everything we demand of them to do to show us they love us. I want my dinner on the table when I walk in the door. And if you don't do it, you don't love me. It goes both ways. That's not love, is it? Jesus, so here, why is it that we as God's sheep think that we can look to Jesus Christ in a way that He has to do what I want Him to do, otherwise He doesn't love me? If, if somehow Jesus' love upon us somehow doesn't match up with our dreams and our desires, we we misunderstand that and think that Jesus doesn't love us. Falsely defined the love of the shepherd for his sheep here. If Jesus loves us with a lavish love that is beyond all love, that doesn't mean he's out there peeling grapes for us and, 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 and fanning the fan for us to make us cool. That's not lavish love from the shepherd. What kind of lavish love does the shepherd give his sheep? He makes sure that they've got the fresh water they need. And so the good shepherd in the church makes sure that church folks, you've got the fresh living water of Jesus Christ. We make, the, the good shepherd makes sure that the sheep has good green pasture fields to, to flourish in. It is the job of the shepherd pastor to make sure that the church has those green pastures of God's word to feed upon. Shepherd of the church is not to come out and babysit every hangnail that every sheep has. And then the sheep, think about this. Does a lamb get mad at the shepherd when they don't get what they want? They probably do, but a good shepherd's not gonna, not gonna encourage the, the selfishness in the sheep. I'm going to teach that sheep, I love you, and I will feed you when you need to be fed, and I'll give you the water when you need to give the water, and I'll take you from your favorite pasture when it's almost dead and dying, and take you to another pasture you may not want to go, but it's better. (laughs) Right? But in the churches, let's just be honest here, and most of us see it, and we complain about it, but we see in Scripture it's not right. The sheep of the church abuse the shepherd to the point that when the shepherd doesn't match every little selfish desire that the sheep want, the shepherd is gone. Can we say amen? They think of the shepherd as somebody who is in their employment. We give him a paycheck. He's there to serve our needs. And if he doesn't serve our needs the way we selfishly want our needs served, then he must not love us and he's not doing his job. Good shepherd here, Jesus Christ, Didn't treat his people that way. Christ spoiled his disciples. He loved them beyond love. He loves you beyond love. But is Jesus Christ going to stand there and say, what, how can I take your order today? Does Jesus, do we think of Jesus this way? Do we think of Jesus Christ as our servant? Okay, Jesus, I want breakfast in bed this morning. I don't want to get out of bed yet. You just bring bring what I need here. That would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? So Jesus as the good shepherd is the model for the shepherd of his church. Now, that doesn't mean that the sheep of the church should look up to the shepherd out of awe and wonder. Please don't do that. (laughs) The shepherd of God's church, his job is to point the sheep to Jesus Christ, who is. Worthy of awe and wonder. Amen. That's my job for you. My responsibility to you. To point you to Jesus Christ. Who is the good shepherd. point you to the living water that he brings. And to point you. And actually lead you. Into the good pasture. That Jesus Christ. That's my job. As we as a church grow. As over the next few months we began to really pray about leaders in the church because I don't need to be the only one (laughs) we got to have a team we want to look for men who will actually lead us to the fresh waters of the brook we want to look for men who can lead us through the good spiritual pasture fields of God's word not those who are going to come and hold your hand when your toe hurts but you know what When the sheep need comfort, the shepherd's there to provide comfort. When the sheep have a broken leg, it's the shepherd's job to heal that broken leg. But if the sheep is just hungry and they're already getting a little fat and they're whining because they're not getting enough grass, a good shepherd says, you know what, maybe you don't need grass today. Maybe a little humility will slim down your fat belly. That doesn't mean that the shepherd hates the sheep. It means the shepherd says, you know what? I love you. And here's how I love you. Let's pray together. Let's look at God's word together. That's the job of the shepherd.